0: Good morning, and welcome to episode fifty-five of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name is Gus Logue. I'm joined by my co-host John Shipley. John, we just witnessed a shellacking about two days ago as the Texans handed a big loss to the Jaguars, thirty-seven to seventeen, in the second official game at EverBank Stadium. First of all, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I I didn't predict the Jaguars would win forty to three.
0: So forty to ten is what someone predicted.
1: You said forty to ten. Oh, I thought it was forty-three. My my mistake. I didn't predict the Jaguars. Room.
0: Either <laughs> one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing good. It, it was the second most embarrassing thing I've seen over the last couple of days. The other one was yesterday when you just absolutely stuffed Gene Fournette in a locker. <laughs> <laughs> Gus went up to introduce himself, to people in the media workroom, and goes up to Gene, accidentally calls him Gary Gary Smith. <laughs> Same person, etc. And Gene goes, "I'm Gene." And Gus goes, "I know who you are. <laughs> I, I, I know what you are." Oh, <laughs> like was-
0: yeah, Gary was just right in front of me. I can't get like his arguments about Taylor Swift out of my head. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that meter room. I've, we've said it before. It's kind of like the office, or like just another like. Sit- was I wrong? Office. There's there's some laughs in there, but yeah, I was just I was just trying to introduce
1: myself. You're doing you're doing a good job, guys. Yeah, was I wrong about the office comparison?
0: No, not really. If anything, yeah. it's like something more hardcore than the office. <laughs> not actually, but the British office. But <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: it, it definitely like You know, I've covered every home game but one since 2019. I had COVID in 2020 when they played the Browns or the Steelers. I don't one of one of the two. I missed one of those games in. Other than that, I've been at every game. I mean, this was probably up there with the Chargers' loss in 2019, where they just sent, they just kept sending Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry on seam routes over Quincy Williams, and Todd Watch did nothing. Yeah, this 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 is right up there with that in terms of embarrassing losses. It was. I mean, you you can't put lipstick on on this pig. I don't think. What is that the first time uh, you've
0: heard of that? Sometimes I haven't heard some of your catchphrases or whatever, I and mean, yeah, you know, catches me off guard. Lipstick on a pig, I don't know, but could you say the Texans were putting lipstick on the Jaguars? No, that doesn't make any sense. No, like, I hate it, was, but... it was so deflating. Is like the word that came to mind for me. Like, it's just that the team had such high expectations, like the highest expectations among like team history, and so. There's been, like, other embarrassing losses, but the other embarrassing losses haven't come, like, with these high expectations necessarily. Yeah, like,
1: the context of the game, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback, even though both are obviously good at what they do. You know, they're Mm -hmm. still rookies. uh, Missing four starters on the offensive line, missing three starters in the secondary, and they're starting linebacker, and it literally could not (laughs) have mattered less.
0: Yeah, I think in hindsight, I, like – Thought too much about the injury report because it's a definitely a significant, an impactful injury report. But I don't think so.
1: I, I don't think so. I mean, the the Texans have given up 11 sacks in the previous two weeks. Like I, I, I the Jags are just bad. Like it, it mattered the previous week against the Colts. You know, like those injuries mattered. So
0: okay,
1: I I, I think the Jags were just bad. I mean, you we'll, we'll obviously get into all of it, but you know, for instance, you know, you have Shaq Griffin starting, playing pretty much every stabber for Derek Stingley. I know they threw on him a decent bit. How many times did they test him downfield, which was kind of his weakness in Jacksonville? I would say probably zero. Like, and to me, it seemed like, you know, we just jump right into the offense. It seems like the way the Jaguars are calling the passing game, especially this week, but in general, is – like both from a play caller perspective and from a quarterback perspective, like they do not trust their protection at all, which fair, you know, warranted, but it just doesn't seem like they're dialing up, you know, the deep shots that they did at times last year, Trevor's interception. It was obvious that he was impacted by the pressure, just made a bad decision. It, it it just doesn't seem like, you know, Trevor's trusting his offensive line and it definitely doesn't seem like Doug Peterson and Press Taylor are trusting it either.
0: Yeah, I mean, from the first week, I think it was kind of, maybe not obvious, but I thought the offensive line was kind of like the reason that the Jags weren't throwing it deep more because they had a plus matchup on paper with their receivers against like the Colts undrafted cornerbacks outside. So I was like, the fact that they weren't trying to test them all game, maybe they didn't trust their offensive line. And then like just the same thing is wrong true um, in weeks two and three as well. And I mean, Trevor just, like, doesn't have enough time to get to, like, third and fourth reads, which is part of the reason he's such a good quarterback. Like, the elite guys are just great processors. And, I mean, Trevor's still processing quickly, but, like, just doesn't have enough time to, like, have every option. So because of that, the coaching staff is trying to, like, come up with plays where there's, like, one or two options and you can get the ball out quick. But then that's just kind of, like, still shriveling and shrinking the offense.
1: Yeah, it it definitely feels like – You know they like they have a Ferrari at quarterback and they're using it like you know like a Honda Civic. Yeah, like he definitely does. I mean, his passing map it was like a Brock Purdy, Jimmy G (laughs) level. You know, and I I I, I agree with you. I think it's because the offensive line. I think they know that their interior is leaky and they have a rookie right tackle who you know he had a better game, but obviously he was going to have a better game. You know, he wasn't going up against Chris Jones. And if if did you catch any of uh, Kansas City, Chicago?
0: No. I thought that was it. Eating ketchup
1: anyway. and maybe ranch? Yeah. Kansas City did the same thing to Darnell Wright but they did it to Anton. They were literally just putting Chris Jones over him and saying, you know, go ruin this dude's confidence for the next month. So yeah. It, it. So Anton, yeah, was far from the only one. But, I mean, Doug put it plainly yesterday. Somebody asked him to evaluate the offense line. He was like, it was – Okay, and okay and coach because it was bad, you know? (laughs) And he basically pointed out, he said Walker, Luke Fortner, and Sheriff with their three consistent guys. Obviously, Walker has been. I thought we were watching the game. Fortner didn't have a bad game, per se. Like, he gave up a leaky pressure on a play action. I can't remember exactly which play it was late in the game, but he didn't have a bad game. And then Sheriff, he honestly played a decent game, but he had two penalties that would kill it, you know, hands mm-hmm. to the face on fourth down. And that, to me, kind of sums up their offensive issues right now. I mean, you know, I I, I tweeted out earlier, like their late down and early down splits on offense are insane. So, on early downs, the Jaguars are so number 19th in EPA per play. You know, obviously not great, but not bottom three in the NFL like they are in general. The number four in success rate. Number 21 and drop back EPA per play, number six and drop back success rate, number nine and rushing EPA per play, and number nine and rushing success rate. And then you look at third late downs, third and fourth, they are thirty-first mm-hmm. in EPA per play, twenty-eighth in success rate, and then bottom five and drop back and rushing EPA per play and success rate. They're just terrible on third down. And I really think a lot of it like you can't even point to one thing, like sometimes it's protection, sometimes it's untimely penalties. You know, Brandon Sheriff's on a what should have been a fourth down conversion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's drops, you know. Calvin Ridley had to. I think Trevor leads the NFL and drops this year with either nine or ten. I think true. I saw I saw stats like a little over ten percent of his passes have been dropped.
0: That's crazy. That's a good way it's to put in context.
1: Which is wild, dude. It's absolutely wild. Like, they had drops issues last year, of course, but it seems like this year, like, the drops are more damaging. You know, they're coming in more critical situations.
0: Yeah, there was another side I saw that the Jags have, like, the most EPA lost on drop passes this year, and it's, like, the most in the past, like, four seasons. Um, And, like, a big part of that is, like you were just saying, a lot of them have been end zone looks and, like, drops uh, to, like, that would have been touchdowns. So not only are they drops, but they're like these late down drops. I mean, these costly situation drops. And I'm
1: pretty positive the drop stats doesn't factor in like the failed like toe drags either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's 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 been you know not great. Okay, so see PFF has them at a hundred at nine drops on 113 percent. I mean, 113 attempts. So what percent of 150 okay, I was wrong. It was more like 8% of his passes. But, you know, still not great. You know, still <laughs> almost a tenth of his passes, you know, are being dropped. And Sunday was a big example of that. You know, you get Calvin Ridley on Blake Cashman and, you know, downfield. Great throw.
0: Should have been a touchdown. And I don't know how he drops it. I, yeah. I Honestly, like my take is that you can't like pin this game or this season so far on any one player or coach like at all. But, like, the take is that, like, it kind of starts with Ridley. Like, literally, it started with Ridley in this game because the Jags got, like, forced to three and out on Houston's first possession. And then they drove down the field. And then Ridley has this drop from, like, the 20 or 30-yard line is where it was thrown from. And then they're forced to kick a field goal, and that misses. And then it was just, like, a snowball effect from there. So, like, A, he, like, literally was, like, the first one to kind of mess up and. It, got, it just got worse. But then also, like, he's, like, the only significant offseason change. Like, this team is, like, sick of hearing about, like, oh, last year's comebacks and this happened last year, so how do you feel now? But, like, the only thing that's changed is Calvin Ridley and, like, for the entire team to see, like, this guy who's supposed to be, like, not necessarily their savior, but a really big impact and, like, fresh face and whatever, to see him, like – not doing what he was supposed to do is probably like puts a damper on the whole team. And then yeah. lastly, like uh, one thing we haven't talked about yet is how Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram had like one or two combined targets in the first half. And then they got a little bit more involved in the second half. But I almost wonder if like part of the Jaguars' plan was to like feed Ridley early and then like see what defenses were doing. And then like kind of like put Kirk, and Engram not, like, into the game plan, but, like, mold the game plan more based on what defenses were doing with Ridley. But, like, now that Ridley isn't performing as expected, like, the team's confidence, I think, might be going down, and then, like, the team's offensive strategy is kind of, like, not where they wanted it to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ridley is, you know, I, we we talked about it, you know, some, me and you, yesterday. I My, my working theory is that, you know, Ridley has never really had an offense funneled through him 2020. You can maybe make the exception because Julio was hurt a lot that year. But you know, he was pretty clearly the number two in Atlanta for most of his time there. And you know, right now his target share so far is he's seen 27% of the targets. The highest he saw in Atlanta was 25.8% in 2020. You know, at 15.2% as a rookie, 17.7 the next year. So they're clearly, you know, making him the focal point of the passing game. It was the usage of Kirk and Ingram, you know, has been curious. It, I mean, Sunday especially, you know, it, it, it seemed like once the Jaguars started funneling their offense to them in the second half, it, you know, <laughs> crazy. It started the offense, you know, started looking much better. And they had, what, the one combined target in the first half and 13 combined targets in the second half. And mm-hmm. I asked Doug about it yesterday. and He said their plan was to get them going early, which – OK, <laughs> like that didn't really show, you know, in their execution. But it does seem like they're at least cognizant of the fact that, OK, maybe we need to reel this in a little bit. But I, I, I did a story, you know, today on Doug talking about Ridley's last two games. And here's a piece from it. The last two weeks, I've seen Ridley catch just five of his 15 targets for 72 yards. say a 33 percent catch rate and 14, 4.8 yards per target. As a result of four drops in two weeks, he now leads all NFL receivers with 10 targets or more in drops and is number five in drop rate at 23.5%. It has just been an ugly, you know, last two weeks. And I think you can chalk some of it up to, obviously, you know, coming back, you know, from being a year off, etc. cetera. And I also think some of it, like I said, is I kind of think this is who he was in Atlanta. You know, he, he was a guy who if you funnel him targets – he doesn't have the surest hands, you know, in a league. Like, you know, he'll have drops now and then. And he's not, like, a big contact guy, which I think we've kind of seen so far.
0: I'm sorry, you froze. I didn't know if you are still talking. <laughs> My bad. No, no. I, th- I think that's totally, like, a fair point about how he, like, wasn't the focal point. Um, and, like, I told you yesterday about how, like, another thing is that he was able to, like, get away with his slim frame more in Atlanta because, like, Julio is this – freak athlete with a monster frame uh so he'll be able to like kind of do a little bit more of the bully ball but like in jacksville ridley zay and kirk are all like 190 to 200 pounds so they don't really have like that type of player that we and we were talking about that in the off season is like a possible off season as a possible like day three pick is like someone who can win like jump balls and stuff like that yeah like uh like a. Better Kevin Austin, basically. I don't know. But <clears throat> are you are you inferring they could have
1: drafted Michael Wilson from Stanford instead of Tank Bigsby? <laughs> what round did Michael Wilson go? After Tank Bigsby, a couple of picks after. So in the third round, I thought he was in the fourth. It might it might have been the fourth. Tank was like mm-hmm. the very tail end of the third. And I mean that's another thing, you know, speaking of the offense is they're getting zero contributions, you know, outside of Anton from the rookie class and I got killed by some people for saying it, saying you don't draft for need, you don't draft for immediate impact. Look at the Detroit Lions. They're, they're you know, all four, you know, they're a similarly touted, you know, playoff caliber team, and all four of their first, you know, top 100 picks are putting up crazy contributions, crazy stat lines. Like, it, it's not true that you have to draft for four years in the future. No, if you're, if you're picking the top 100, you should – be expected to contribute something as a rookie, and it's not like to the fault of Brenton Strange and Tank Bigsby because you know outside of Week One, it's not like they've done anything wrong. That was obviously when Tank had his no good, very bad, <laughs> awful week. But yeah, I think you know in total, like you you, you look at the plan. Here I put out yesterday, Tank and and Brenton Strange combined for thirty snaps four touches and 17 yards against the Texans. Yeah, Tank had a one yard touchdown that he vultured from ETN. <laughs> I I I you know, he I think he's the leading scorer this year with two touchdowns, neither of which <laughs> was a touchdown that, you know, really took much. You know, I feel like yeah. Sonny Connor probably, you know, could have scored them. So it, it just the way this team was built. I I am it it is not like that it does not look like pretty much any of their plans or predictions internally from the offseason, especially on offense, are coming to fruition. And I don't know, man. Somebody tweeted at me and said, you know, since Urban left, the drafting has been going downhill. And maybe it's time to start a dialogue because the 2022 class returns are not good. And the 2023 class, like they picked five, 13 players, five of them are seeing playing time. And the only one that's seeing significant playing time is Anton, and I mean, Anton's the
0: only rookie to get more than thirty percent of snaps in week three. Yeah,
1: so yeah. you know, Tank and, and Brent Strange are aren't really doing anything. You see Abdullah, I think he had like eleven snaps. I think eight of them were in like run defense snaps. So, and then Tyler Lacey is you know getting whatever snaps that like Andrew Blackson. I haven't heard in a long, long time. Yeah. Tyler Lacey. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, it. I, I really think the off like when you get to the offensive issues, it ranges from obviously the Ridley addition causing some issues so far, the offensive line
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: not getting impact from the rookies. I
0: think you can point to literally anything and everything other than the quarterback. That's yeah, good good ad because I was gonna say Lawrence's interception was uh, yeah. at least his week three interception. Like I will put that on him. He was getting pressured, but it was like not a good decision and not a good throw. However, like that was really like the only objectively poor throw that I've seen from him the entire season. Like he, he's trying to elevate the offense. Like you see the way he like puts in the basket, like with the really dropped touchdown on Sunday, he's doing everything he can. And like, the problem is that he's just like, that's not working. So he's trying to do even more than he can, which we saw in like week two when he tried to take the, zone readout and lost three yards on the goal line so like he's he's starting to press just because like nothing's working uh but like everyone else just needs to chill out and like said it before like the best that Lawrence plays is when he's just like in a groove and like playing smoothly um and like we just haven't really seen that at all except for the second half of the Colts game maybe
1: yeah now I'm I'm 100 percent with I thought week three was one of Lawrence's better games, like, this season, if not in his life. I've been good all season. Yeah, no, he's he's been a I, – I, I don't care. You know, solely Sparks, who, 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 whoever <laughs> disagrees, I don't care. He's been a top six or seven quarterback this year. You know, like, he's at the table. I know the production isn't there. You know, they went nine quarters, I think, without a passing touchdown. It, it, it's, it's not him. It, it literally is everybody but him, which – it's probably the first time in franchise history they can ever say that about the quarterback, but mm-hmm. it like there, there were genuine takes after the game saying that CJ Stroud was more impressive than Lawrence. 40% of CJ Stroud's production, and we'll talk about this more, came on two busted coverages that shouldn't have happened. So, so yeah, yeah Stroud, Stroud, I thought, had a good game. He looks yeah. really good for rookie. Lawrence has played like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And my genuine take is that if you don't see it, you just don't know what you're saying. And I'm not trying to say like anybody's a dumb fan, but like Lawrence isn't like if you put out a top fifteen reasons why the offense is struggling, Lawrence comes at fifteenth or maybe sixteenth. Like he's not even on the list. You know, and I'm just like watch the games. <laughs> like, like, like what people were literally, I saw a, a conversation somebody was having that he stared down his target on the Ridley drop, and I'm like. One, it's a linebacker on Ridley, and two, the linebacker had his back to him. It's like if you throw a touchdown pass and it's dropped, why is there any dialogue at all about the thrower decision?
0: I don't know, man. Did you see the one about like how like Ridley was running a dig, or no, Kirk was running a dig, and he was like, "It should" on that same Ridley drop, and he's like, "Should have thrown it to Kirk, even though Kirk was not at all open." Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll do some kind of film room this week. We're, uh, before we forget, we're going to do a slight schedule change and try to do podcasts on Mondays going forward, Mondays and Fridays, rather than Tuesdays and Fridays, just to get you guys game reactions and game reviews sooner. But then also I'm going to to post film clips on YouTube on Wednesdays. So I'll put together a little compilation of, like, why Trevor Lawrence is still great or just is great. You're going to get me in my Garfield era. What? it? Is- I hate Mondays.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it because
0: then we get it over with.
1: Yeah. Not <laughs> okay. hey, this, this isn't the get it over with to me. This is the highlight of my week. But, no, that would be incredibly sad if that was true. It's Aww. not. I uh I mean <laughs> I just I, I feel I really feel like like there isn't much more like to say about the offense. Like they're really bad on third downs because they keep making these back breaking mistakes at every position other than quarterback in. Mm-hmm. To me, the quarterback's playing at a near elite, if not elite, level, and everybody else is playing. To me, you know, relatively, you know, average to below average. I wouldn't say everybody else. I think Evan Ingram's played really good. He just hasn't been utilized. I thought, I he thought Kirk had. Well. Yeah, I thought Kirk had a good second half. You know, it just what what was it the set that you had? Like Agnew and Farrell and Strange at six
0: targets in the first half. Uh yeah, it was Agnew, Farrell, Strange, and Jones had six combined targets in the first half. And they then, shouldn't have six combined targets in a game. Yeah, and then Ridley and Etienne had like eleven combined, and then Engram or not Engram, uh, Ridley and Etienne. No, sorry, yeah, Engram and Kirk had one combined target in the first half. So that's kind of going to be probably like a big thing I look for in the Falcons' week is like do they start the game off like trying to feed Ridley in like a revenge game for him since they're playing the Falcons? Okay. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Yeah, dude. I I realized that yesterday and I was like, oh, oh, man. Like what does that even mean? So like are they going to try to feed Ridley in his revenge game and like try to keep making the offense go through him and then through everyone else after? Or are they going to do more of what they did in the second half in Houston where it's like we're running the offense through Engram and Kirk like we did in the second half of last season? And then hopefully, like, Ridley will find success off of that if that's what they do. Yeah,
1: because I, I think that's what we all assume, you know, it would be is that it'd be the same offense. They're just, you know, slotting in Ridley really for Marvin Jones. But it clearly has not gone that way. So, it, you know,
0: I think the offense will get better. See, the thing is, like, the offense is the same as it was last year. And, like – even Calvin's role is pretty similar to Marvin's. It's just that they're featuring that role so much more than last year. So they need to dial it back based on, like, A, like, p- people like Kirk and especially Engram not getting enough targets, but also, B, like, Ridley kind of struggling out of the gate.
1: Yeah, I, I I definitely, definitely agree with that. And then I guess the last thing to really hit on the offense is I thought ETN looked you know, yeah I, I i i think I, I think etn has honestly um looked fantastic <laughs> like, especially last week
0: yeah i found a stat where his explosive rush rate just rushes of uh 10 yards or more is like it's half this season what it was last season but like other than the explosives explosives everything else is still there i, I should look at like what his success rate is last year versus this year because that's probably improved uh even if like the 20-yard chunks aren't there as consistently as maybe we would expect based on like how good of a workload he's gotten to start the year. Yeah. He has been good. And you can kind of see like the improvement that he's made like with his technique and like squaring shoulders and kind of like hitting holes faster.
1: My final question, I guess, for you on the offense is – Like, what can you really do, you know, with the offensive line until Cam comes back? Like, is the only other real option, you know, put Chatley in at left guard? I mean, I thought Doug kind of plainly said yesterday that, you know, Ben Barch is not not doing well, you know. So, is that really the only thing they can do on that front until Cam gets back? Because I'm more than assuming I would – you can go ahead and – Bet the mortgage on this one. When Cam comes back, he'll be at left tackle, and Walker Little will be at left guard. I've seen people say put Cam at right tackle, put him at left guard, put him, put him at long and keep Walker at left <laughs> tackle. I don't think that's going to happen. So what would you do over the next one to potentially two games, you know, until Cam's back on the line? And me personally, I, I would put Chatley at left guard.
0: Yeah, I would either do that or at least, like, be ready to if like Barch ends up starting the Falcons game. And then if he's struggling against Grady Jarrett, which probably good chances, uh, then they'll like throw in Challey. But yeah, I think like Anton will continue to get better week to week. Um, So until he gets a little more experience and until Robinson comes back, like they're going to be kind of almost stuck in like the same offense that they are against. It's just like, try to, feature like engram and kirk more than you feature ridley maybe but like they're still already doing plenty of like screens and like quick concepts and like different types of stuff that you'd normally do to help out your offensive line like they've already pulled out most of the trip. <laughs> yeah they, they and I,
1: I guess it just leads to the question of like you literally knew this was the offensive line situation but like somebody asked me yesterday when i made that point about you know, strange and tank like, okay, well, who would you have picked? Who would have made an impact? Literally, Osiris Torr. <laughs> it's like literally, yes. literally a NFL starting guard for a team that needs a starting guard on his line. Like it, people make it way tougher. That needs to be, I uh, guess. I, do we have anything else to add for the no good offense?
0: Nah, we can, we can move to defense.
1: Yeah. Right, so we're going to hit a break. You're reminded that Trevor Lawrence is good. The Jaguars offense is not. We'll be right back. I guess, to the defense. It it appears the Jaguars' defense is not the 1985 Bears, contrary to previous reports.
0: Uh, I don't know. Mike Caldwell still might be him, though, because let's break down these two big plays from the Texans real quick. C.J. Stroud hit two really long wins to Tank Dell. There was a 46-yarder in the first quarter, then a 64-yarder in the fourth quarter. Uh, So on the first one, they were both like – they were both blown coverages and miscommunication. Like miscommunication was said by every other Jags like coach and player in terms of like the reason for the explosive explosives give them up on defense on Sunday. So the first one, which was the one where Ray Sean was like sprinting backwards, correct? Yeah. So that one at first I thought was like an inverted Tampa two where they were having, like, Tyson Campbell and Darius Williams, our cornerback, play, like, what the safeties would usually do, which is those two deep half safeties. Because before the snap, we saw both Rayshon Jenkins and Andre Sisco, like, fly up into the box. And there was, like, basically everyone, it looks like it, they were in the box. It was, like, a nine-man box, wasn't it? And, like, the only two guys yeah. who weren't in it were the outside corners. <laughs> right. So then after the snap, like – Rayshon immediately starts sprinting backwards like in the middle of the field so that's why I thought it was inverted Tampa two is because like usually when the Jags or any other team run Tampa two like you see the middle zone defender which is usually the middle linebacker like turn his shoulders and almost like run back to cover deeper than he would in a normal cover two zone so like when Rayshon was doing that I was like oh this is just like a super funky inverted Tampa two look um but then based on the miscommunication and like looking at the tape, it seemed like there was, I don't, I don't think it was Tink Dell who motioned, but I th- it was probably Dalton Schultz or end who motioned like across the formation. So then Ray Sean, who was not responsible for the middle Tampa two covered shell, but was actually responsible for the deep third in the cover three zone shell. Uh, he, so he was originally responsible for that deep cover three middle shell. And then when Schultz motioned over, That's when Rayshon like ran up because he thought his like responsibilities changed. Then Schultz went back across the formation and Rayshon just stayed up in the box because I guess he thought that like he wasn't going to go back to being that deep safety. And so maybe like it was on Cisco to remain that deep safety after the first original shift. But whatever the matter was, it was a cover three defense. And then like Tank Dell was able to just like run past Darius Williams on the right and then like into the wide open deep third zone
1: yeah it definitely
0: and also credit the
1: cj shroud like it seemed like he got the snap off you know pretty quickly when he saw kind of the miscommunication i mean i i have it you know i i have it up here 114 of the texans 280 passing yards roughly 40 percent came on you know, those two players alone. So that's really almost half their passing game production came on two players. So it, it definitely, you know, like you said, was that miscommunication, you know, the safety coming down. I, I'm, I'm surprised that those, I guess, communication issues are happening because, like, these guys, they've played now 20-something games together, you know, in the same right. system. So you wouldn't think that's creeping up in, you know, week three of year two together. And then you have a breakdown for us on the touchdown dagger.
0: Yeah, I mean, that one was just, like, Darius Williams. And I forget who the other player was on that side. It might have been Trey Herndon. It was probably Trey Herndon. Uh, Like, they were just the two outside cover guys. And I think Darius's guy, like, went into motion. It was basically just, like, another motion that happened. And so there was two guys that were, like, confused about what their assignments were. And so, like, basically both Darius Williams and Trey Herndon took the guy who went on, like, the short outside route. And I guess it was probably Darius Williams just based on what it looks like that should have actually stuck with the deeper inside route with Tank Dell. So it was just like, again, like pretty similar, even those man versus zone, like both examples or both plays were like just two specific coverage defenders, like getting mixed up with each other's responsibilities. Yeah. And
1: so like, just putting it all in context, you have, Two blown coverages that lead to two Texans touchdowns and almost half of their passing game yardage. You have a touchdown drop that leads to a missed field goal. You have a blocked kick that leads to a Texas touchdown. You have a 85-yard kickoff return by a fullback where they had what five missed tackles on it, and yeah, it just it clearly was not not their day. Like you, like that that number of bad things stacking up on top of each other is absolutely.
0: Insane to me. Pretty much everything that went wrong could have. It's insane. Yeah. Like, that's probably the reason for like my Ridley like snowball effect take. It's like, I like I don't know what else it could have been. Some like, someone poisoned their pizza at the team hotel. They're the home team, so hopefully not.
1: I, I will say this. I feel vindicated. Damian <laughs> yeah. Pierce was having a mid off. <laughs> Devin Singletary, De- it, new hot take. Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary is the Texans' best running back. Go ahead. Go ahead and put that put that on your sheet. Damian Pierce, 14 carries for 31 yards, and that includes a 10-yard run. So, 13 carries for 21 yards outside of his best run. Yeah, he had the one-yard touchdown that I could have walked in. Devin Singletary, nine carries for 41 yards. Pierce averaged 2.2 yards per carry, and he's he's not had a good year to run the ball. So, I – I mean, you look at the Jags, like, defensive, you know, numbers. Like, they are an elite, you know, right now, run defense at this point in time. You know, number three in rushing EPA per play, number two in success rate. Then, you know, passing game to number 23 in pack EPA per play, number 14 in drawback success rate. Better numbers than last year, but obviously still small sample size. We'll see what happens after they play the Buffalo Bills, what those numbers look like. but. They're definitely a team that is built, you know, around their run defense right now. And I think that was another problem is they just they couldn't generate any negative plays in Houston's passing game. You know, I felt like everything Houston did, even if it only two plays were well, three plays. I think Nico Collins had like a 20-yard catch too. It seemed like outside of three plays, everything Houston did, it was just like a timing-based, you know, offense. And the Jaguars could not get them. Off with them at all, you know. Jaguars recorded zero sacks despite Houston, you know, being among the lead lead, lead leaders in sacks given up through three weeks. Even with no sacks given up in week three, Josh Allen, according to Next Gen Stats, was the only Jaguars front seven player to record more than two pressures. Him and Devin Lloyd were the only ones to even record multiple pressures. I know PFF has Trayvon down with two. I trust Next Gen Stats a good bit more than PFF, so yeah. I mean, the Trayvon Walker, you you and I said last last week, previewing the Texans, like, Trayvon needs to have, like, a game, you know, against the Texans, or the conversation will get awkward. And I I think it's gotten there, dude.
0: Yeah. Like, two backup offensive tackles, not one, but two. And, like, Stroud did, like, pretty poised. And, like, I mean, since we know that quarterbacks are – or sacks are a quarterback stat, like – Stroud did do a good job a couple of different times of like stepping up into the pocket, but like, man, like Trayvon didn't show anything as a pass rusher. Like he continued to flash extremely well in the run game. And like, he's definitely a key part of like the Jaguars first and second down awesomeness on defense. Uh But then like third down comes and we don't really see that much. And <laughs> should I bring up the Aiden Hutchinson stat now? Yeah.
1: It so I will concede. After years of dragging him, the Jaguars should have drafted Aiden Hutchinson. I I I said after a game, imagine how different the Jaguars' defense would be if they just drafted Hutchinson and then just kept Arden Key. And somebody said, "I died in Hutchinson Hill." Correct. I was wrong about Hutch. I'm not paid to draft football players, like it literally doesn't matter if I'm wrong. Right. Like, the football team is who needs to be right, and they they. To me, we're not, and I'm not sure I see that changing. Like, even before you get into it, over the last two seasons, Taven Bryan has more sacks than Trayvon Walker. Taven Bryan has more sacks this year. Like, I, it the it's going to be 2030, and we're going to be hearing about the excuse that he didn't play edge at Georgia. That has to factor into drafting him, you know, like I mean, that.
0: Or it has to factor into, like, where they're playing him. It's like – we saw, like, the stuff last year with, like, Darius Williams moving from the slot to the cornerback, and it's like, oh, like, once Mike Caldwell, like, figured out his unit, it's like, now like, you pretty clearly, like, signed Darius Williams to play in the slot, and then, like, Shaq Griffin just, like, basically got sent home, and so then Darius started playing outside because you needed him to, and then he played better than outside because that's where he's always wanted to play, so, like, I wonder if something happens with Trayvon eventually where it's, like, they finally move him inside and, like, They're not like they're barely they're moving him inside like less than five or 10 percent of the snaps. So like at least like try something because the Hutchinson stat that I have is Hutchinson has 15 snaps playing rushing the passer from like inside the offensive tackles. Um, He has 15 pass rush snaps and a 21.4 percent pressure rate, which ranks 10th among all NFL defenders. Trayvon Walker has two such snaps and zero percent pressure rate or zero pressures on those two snaps. But then even on the outside, like Hutchinson, it has 20 pass rush snaps and a 40% pressure rate, which is 10th. And, I mean, small sample size through three weeks. But then Trayvon Walker has 57 pass rush snaps, which ranks eighth in the league, and only an 11.3% pressure rate, which ranks 65th. So, like, Hutchinson is better both inside and outside. He's getting more opportunities inside. It's pretty baffling from like the Jaguars.
1: And the only thing I can say, this isn't to justify it. I mean, this goes back to Trent Baalke did a he did a bad job with the pass rush this offseason. He did a bad job setting up this pass rush this off season, and I think that's why Doug seemed he gave like a Mitch McConnell freeze after the game when asked about the pass rush and had to like really collect his thoughts. It's to me, it's not because he doesn't know the answers because. He yeah, an NFL head coach. He can't say the answer up there at the podium. He's not going to throw his guys or his p- people under the bus. But Balky did a bad job building this pass rush. this He did a bad job because the solution to moving Trayvon inside would be, okay, you need somebody on the outside. You can't put Caleb on out of there, obviously. You can't put your Abdullah out there. When DeWan Smoot gets back, you like it's better inside too. So, like, I I had somebody replied to me, and I was like, "Well, they're getting spooked back for whatever it's worth soon." And I'm like, "Is it worth that okay, much?" Sure. <laughs> I did the uh, the Family Guy Brian thing where he's like, "That's better." <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. It's, it's a,
1: yeah, it's it's help, but c- come on, you know, like I I I, I just. And the thing is, everybody literally predicted this, that would be the outcome. You know, there was a reason they got asked about the pass rush nonstop all offseason,
0: mm-hmm. all after
1: the draft. So, but again, it's not my job or your job to figure out what the answers are. It's our jobs to say, you know, when something's not going right. And clearly their pass rush plan has not gone right. I, I think Josh Allen's had a really good season, but to me, pass rushes are you get to rush as a unit. And if a, mm-hmm defense ever has like just one guy surrounded by a bunch of you know jags for lack of a better term just the guys it's super easy to you know kind of not shut him down but to limit his impact and i mean josh allen had three quarterback hits and five pressures against the texans and you wouldn't know because he was the only dude getting back there and I I just I still can't fathom the Arden Key decision. I it, it had nothing to do with he wanted to play more and he wouldn't have signed here for any money. Like I've seen some people suggest, no. If they if they literally offered him what the Titans offered him, he would be in Jacksonville right now. So it it just it was a very very poorly constructed pass rush. We're seeing that show up, and the fact that people are like it will get better when Smoot and Devon Hamilton come back, it will, but. Look at the two people you're saying you know are going to save the pass rush. It's a inside-out sub-package power rusher who's coming off an Achilles tear, and a nose tackle who literally has only been known as a pass rusher for a six-week stretch of training camp against a bad offensive line. So,
0: and now there's like a mysterious inju- backer injury, and we're not sure when he's coming
1: back. Exactly. So, I help is not on the way for the pass rush. I think it's red like. Sound all the alarms, try to make some kind of trade at a deadline. And I think I, I don't like throwing the word bust around, so I'm not going to throw it around. But I do think you can say with confidence the Jaguars picked the wrong player, number one overall last year.
0: And a number 25 overall, probably. 26 overall?
1: 24? Overall? 27th overall? I don't know. Both linebackers they picked that year are kind of. Hmm.
0: Well put. <laughs> Muma didn't have a great game. Both linebackers, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was looking back at the draft history today, like, since 2000, even including 2021. Like, the only day three player who's gotten, like, any kind of, like, significant run time or snaps is Luke Farrell. And he's, like, commonly known as, like, an Urban Meyer draft pick. Great so, family. I I remember saying like really early this past off season that like Trent's day three picks were going to be a really big part of the off season, even if we didn't really like think about it or remember it just because like they need to get depth from somewhere. And like they haven't, like they have been, they haven't gotten depth from anywhere. So now they're spending their second and third round picks on depth. Yeah. Like their plan for the pass rush very obviously was Trayvon Walker. And that was a terrible plan and hasn't worked so far. Yeah,
1: it hundred percent was, and I yeah, I really don't think there's anything else. You know, I, I guess my final hot take is I after watching the, the game again, you know, going through the tape, I was really imp- impressed by Bobby Slonek, and I think he has put together a better offensive plan at least last week than the Jaguars did. Like, because you can't use the offensive line excuse. The Texans' offensive line, even when all their starters are available, is Probably so. So so Texans had a bad offensive line, and we're still able to you know play relatively clean football. So my hot take is right now, Bobby Slonick is ahead of the Jaguars play callers. Mm.
0: Just Jaguars mm. play callers as a group.
1: Press ahead of press Taylor ahead of the Jaguars
0: brain trust. On yeah, offer. yeah. No, yeah. I was even trying to dig you like that. We're it's not going to give. We're not going to give
1: credence to <laughs> the debate of who's calling the plays. There, there's. I mean, not going to waste oxygen there.
0: Texans are set up so well. Between Scott, whatever his last name is, on offense, D'Amico Ryan's being head coach in the defensive play caller, and then on both sides of the ball for players, like Will Anderson Jr. and C.J. Stroud look as good as pretty much anyone in the entire draft class. Like maybe Alexander Carter.
1: They hit home runs on quarterback, head coach, and have one of the best young pass rushers in football. They're going to be a problem for years.
0: Yeah, like happens quick, but they're like maybe like up there, right with the Jaguars for like best teams of like the future for the AFC South.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 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 definitely with you there, Gus. Do we have anything else on defense? No, sir. Okay, we're gonna break one more time and then come back for our game balls question mark after <laughs> <To> that loss. <laughs>
0: we'll
1: be right back. I guess. It's always tougher to pass out game balls after a loss. I, I don't need to game ball article for Jaguar Report anymore. My man, Jackson Lulo does? I, I, I'm bad with pronouncing last names, but it, it's always tougher to pass them out after a loss. I, I don't think it's necessarily that tough this week, though, so I'll go ahead and give you mine, and then you give me yours. Offense, I think it clearly has to be Travis Etienne. It was obvious they were trying to establish the run trademark early on, and ETN, like he, we we talked about it, how he struggled, the running game struggled, not him to break off long runs in the first two weeks. I mean, he he had a much better game. I thought this time around, It seemed like they were committed to him, and like it's obvious that like Tank Bigsby's only role in the offenses as a goal line, you know, t- touchdown vultures. I oh, mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's Travis Etienne's backfield. Obvious uh, defensive player game. That's tougher. I'll probably go with Roy robson Harris just because of his run defense. He was really effective in the run game, but it's 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 tough because like it, it just felt like nobody made a play, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like nobody not to say everybody <sighs> performed badly, but nobody really stepped up, I thought, and had like a standout performance.
0: Right. My defensive game ball goes to Foyer Luakan, uh just because like he had 11 tackles on the day but it was his fourth consecutive game with double digit tackles so like he just continues to be the heart and spine and whatever of jacksonville's defense i mean roy robertson's Harry, roy robertson harris's run defense has like significantly improved i mean he wasn't like bad all of last season but he was inconsistent uh so like again like him and foley have really picked up the slack with Devon Hamilton being out. But I've got the same offensive game ball as you. Like, at the offense might have gone scoreless a second straight week if they didn't have Travis UTN. He, like, he accounted for 48% of their total yards.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm definitely, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's anybody else to even really consider. And special teams. Yikes. Uh, Not Brandon McManus. Not anybody on the return coverage team. I this is gonna be a disgusting sentence that comes out of my mouth. You ready? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Logan Cook is like in the 16 to 20 range and EPA generated by punters this year. So yeah. (laughs) I I saw I saw yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Punter EPA. We've gotten there. Just, just, just like people are now complaining that the Jaguars don't do enough quarterback sneaks because that's the problem with the offense—the quarterback built like a
0: light pole isn't <laughs> trying like, the, like a light pole trying to cram into the middle enough. Built like one of those like dancing floaty things you see outside of car, car dealerships.
1: I want one of the skinniest quarterbacks in the NFL to also push behind one of the weakest
0: centers in the NFL. Right? <laughs> they tried it two times in a row in Week One. Why are they going to try it again?
1: I literally had somebody on Twitter, like before this podcast started, get into it with me about that and has now threatened to slap me at the stadium for simply replying yeah and yes to all their tweets about it now. So never changed, Sean. Nah nah. So the Jags offense has been so disappointing that people are now upset about the lack of quarterback snakes. That's that's where they're at. That's where they're at. Gus, we'll be back Friday to preview the Atlanta
0: Falcons. 9.30 9.30 kickoff. Mm. You got uh, anything else for us? No, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be two straight weeks of like – or two straight Sundays of like just a full day of football. So,
1: List. I'm definitely
0: looking forward to that. It'll be fun. But I'll talk to you
1: Friday. Being done being done with work by like 3 p.m. on a Sunday, man, it is – it's nice. Then again, I was basically done with work at 3 p.m. last
0: Sunday. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there we go. There
1: we go. All right, thank you all for joining us. We will be back Friday to preview the Atlanta Falcons.